Denver Rubber Company is the most reliable local partner for your long-term projects, and they have been since 1972. Denver Rubber Company provides the highest quality of products from custom die-cut gaskets, molded rubber, to custom contract manufacturing and hoses. And specifically these days, with snow regularly on the ground in February and likely to continue through March, Denver Rubber Company is your one-stop shop for anything and everything snow plows. They have snow plow blades that can be cut to any length and slotted to meet your exact mounting specifications. They're double-sided, so they last twice as long, and they can custom-make a bunch of other stuff for you, ranging from anything made out of rubber to stuff that goes in bulletproof vests or even things that go inside wind turbine blades. So if you have any type of project, I'm sure they can make something for you. Be sure to give them a call today for any of those needs, specifically snow plows. You can reach them at 1-800-259-0010 or visit them at drcfirst.com slash dnbr. And Cole gets another good righty and another right by Cole, a left by Cole this time. Tipped in front by Mika Rentinen. He shoots and scars. Nathan McKinnon. Call JT Comfer. 877 goes now. Gabriel Landeskog. Collective hugs. 29 and 92. Save me by Grubauer. Move over, Picasso. This piece of art is by McKinnon. My goodness gracious. <laughs> Welcome into the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits. They have over a thousand different varieties of beer in their two locations in Centennial and Highlands Ranch. So they have you covered for anything you may need, including wines and liquors from around the world. They have an app which you can download today and you can sign up for their loyalty program to get amazing deals and even get the alcohol delivered directly to your front door. They also do free tasting on weekends and you can even request specific products to be brought into the store if that's what you're looking for. Get on it while you can. The great deals go quickly, so be sure to sign up for that loyalty program and download that app today. I'm Nathan Rudolph. He's AJ Hayfley. It is Thursday, the 5th of March. The Avs just lost to the Anaheim Ducks last night. We will get to that in a minute because there is some more pertinent roster news that has sprung up today. Martin Kaut has been returned to the Colorado Eagles, and Kevin Kanaten and Sheldon Dries have been called back up to the Colorado Avalanche. From a system standpoint, they're just sending Kaut down now. He could have played one more game, but with a three-game road trip coming up, just easier for him to go join the Eagles up north, staying in Colorado instead of going on the trip for one game with their ultimate decision to send him back before that contract tips over and the year goes away. Uh, and Connaughton are just the replacements. I'm, I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit more, but AJ... What are your thoughts on on confirming that it looks like they want to keep Cout on that five-year ELC? Uh, I think I'm bothered by this a lot less than I saw some other folks today, Um, if only because, one, I fully expected this was the case. Uh, And two, when you and I were looking at the roster the other day, we were just having a really hard time finding a place for him when this this forward group is healthy. And that's 100% healthy, 
even even if it's just like two or three of these guys come back, uh, it gets very difficult to to find a, a consistent place for him. You know, the like we talked about the other day, had they not gone gone out and added Nemesnikov, had Tyson Jost not taken his game to a completely different level, um, <clears throat> I think we'd be. We'd, we would be having a different conversation. I think it'd be much easier to find uh, a spot to keep him. But look, the, the reality is, is that these guys, the, some of these, these injured forwards are, are not far off from coming back. And you could say, well, they didn't go on the trip. Uh, so the Avs are not icing their optimal roster for the next three games. It's 100% accurate. Uh, but the the ELC conversation is bigger than the next three games. It's bigger than the next four games. Even if even if none of these guys come back, say no Burakovsky, no Kale McCarr, no no any of the guys who are injured right now return, even through next Friday's game. Um, you know that's that's five more games. Three, uh, the three roadies, and then the two home games Wednesday and Friday. Even if that does not happen, those guys just don't return. Uh, it's still, you're still talking about a, a, a small enough time window, uh, time frame here that it just does not, it, it, it would be a tough business decision to make uh, for, to, to, to kick that ELC, um, <clears throat> to, to have it kick in right now them to get healthy four games later and for him to be a healthy scratch. Uh, for me, that was, we had talked about it on this show. That was worst case scenario. And so they, they bit the bullet and said, we'll, we'll, we'll make a business decision over a hockey decision uh, because we believe that our guys are going to get healthy. Uh, and that, uh, you know, Matt Calvert, Nazem Kadri, Andre Burakovsky, Miko Ranton, and Wall be back within the next two weeks or so. And then we, you know, we're off and running and we're not to no offense to him, but then at that point, they're not worried too much about Martin Cow. Yeah. And I definitely see where this is coming from, from the business side of things. Like you said, they're avoiding the worst case scenario here. Um, my problem with it and where I think I struggle with the Avs seem to be of two minds here. On the one hand, on trade deadline day, they're going out and trading for a goaltender to play one, maybe a second game. Maybe he plays two games this season for the team to mm -hmm. try and chase down the St. Louis Blues, and they give up an asset for this goalie that Hunter Miska could have played those games just as well. And now on the flip side, like you said, they're not icing the optimal lineup here. We've talked about how much Kamenev has struggled. Martin Kaut has already proven he's more impactful in the NHL than Sheldon Dries has in over half a season of NHL games that he's gotten over the past two years. So it does feel a little bit like a hedge, I guess, where they want to go out and chase down the Blues, but they're not willing to give up a year on Martin Kaut's deal at the same time. Yeah, I just I don't know that those extra five games are the difference. Um, I don't know that like, they are either, like, but they I don't clearly that, thought they were when it comes to acquiring a goalie. Like, like they didn't go all in, man. Like that's for me. These are different conversations. Like, Michael, the the Hutchinson thing is completely irrelevant to this decision in my in my eyes because 
they look, they made the evaluation that Callie Rosen wasn't someone that they viewed as a, as a part of their long-term defense. We could, we could have that conversation during the summer after the season, whatever, and how that shapes some of their decision-making, but they made that determination. They decided that. And they went out and they just hedged their bet with a third goaltender and said, hey, just in case. And this is less about the Rosen thing for me, though, and more about they're willing to play Sheldon Dries, but they weren't willing to play Hunter Miska. So where is the line there? Well, they're comfortable with Sheldon Dries. I understand that. Like, but there's, well, that's the difference. They like, felt that's the difference. Jared, mm. Jared Bednar plays a role in these decisions. He has half of a year of Sheldon Dries. He knows what's good. He knows what's bad. There's there's a comfort level in Dries, and there's absolutely nothing with Hunter Miska, who wasn't even on an NHL contract until a month ago. Comfortable over optimal is a dangerous path to walk down. I'll put it that I way. I mean, you're talking about the fringes of the roster here. You're talking about one start, Michael Hutchinson versus Hunter Miska, which I think is part of your point in the why go it get is. Hutchinson. Yeah, then. exactly. Like, I get it, but it's just a different conversation. Because that you're you're talking about one start. You wanted a guy with NHL experience. You got it. He played against an absolutely terrible team. He settled down. He ended up playing well enough to get the win. They got the W out of it. They got two points. All is well. That decision. That decision worked. Yeah, obviously that, that the Hutchinson the decision worked out fine. I, I'm worked. not arguing that. It's just a bit of a weird comparison, I would say. And and yeah, you can say they're different situations. All that, I just well, don't. I mean, you're talking. You're talking about like a uh, an ELC is one of the most valued things across the league. Young players on cost controlled contracts, and we can talk about Cout's next contract and how it probably won't be like a a bank breaking deal or whatever. But at the end, now that they've decided to kick that down the road, you know, three years from now, we expect this to be a cap team, like a very expensive roster and we expect Cout to be an NHL regular on that roster for $800,000 and change, whatever, whatever his actual deal is. Um, so he's going to be a great value in year three, whereas that third year would be starting his second contract, which might be a million too. Maybe it's 5 million. We don't know what that is. But now, because the Avs made the decision that they did today, we do know what that salary is three years from now, and it is his ELC number. And that and was that's the decision they made. They took the cost certainty of the third year of Martin Kaut's ELC over what did whatever difference he may make in the next five to eight games. And I'm that's the decision they made. I understand the decision. I'm comfortable with it. I'm I'm more than fine that the Avs are looking towards the future in that regard. I just find it a bit odd that they don't seem like they know what they want to do with this season. They don't seem I, dead set on icing their best roster every single night, and they didn't make big commitments in the trade deadline either. So, Right, they didn't. That's the thing. They, it's not like they went all in to chase down St. Louis. They said, hey— we want to chase down St. Louis. We want to hedge our bet a little bit. We want to get a little extra insurance with Hutchinson. We want to get a little extra insurance uh, with Nemesnikov, which en- ended up being a because of these injury issues that 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 continued to crop up after the deadline. Getting Nemesnikov ended up being something that has turned out to be important for them 
instead of the hey like this is not going to be a big deal you know he's he's got what three points in five games or something like whatever whatever it is um like he's he's helped chip in some some production and he's been important I don't I would disagree that they don't seem to know like what direction they want. I think that they're saying, "Hey, we want to chase down the Blues, but we are also realistic in that we've got a business decision to make here with this one particular player, and then we're hoping the rest of these guys are able to get healthy and that we can just ride out the short term." Because they're they are, they're looking at at 5 to to 8 games where then they get healthy and then okay, where are we after that? And I would say eight games is even on the longer end because we've, I mean, we've seen these guys are on the ice. These guys are skating and that, that usually doesn't happen unless guys are at most like 10 ish days away. Yeah. I think the guys will come back soon. Mm. I also think you're actively icing Vlad Kamenev who continues to struggle. You're actively icing Sheldon tries who, they have avoided calling up in the second half because he just doesn't provide that much impact in the NHL. And I guess taking off that year of Martin Kaut's deal, I don't think is as important as some people, just because you're giving him two years to prove himself in the NHL anyway. Uh, it, As we said, we don't expect it to be a significant raise, but even if it is, if you're giving him a third year I don't think that one year really makes a difference either way. Either way, that contract is coming up at or before McKinnon's deal, and that's where the cap crunch is really going to start. I I don't think so. I I mean, that's where life gets much more difficult. Uh, but I think that I, I I think that with you know potential extension, you know Landeskog and Makar and uh, Gerard's new deal, which is already locked in, and Burakovsky and uh, potentially a starting goaltender deal with Grubauer if if that ends up playing out that way. I mean, you're, we're, we're talking about there. Are, there's a lot of money that has to start getting added up on this roster, and while they have a lot of money to spend, it's going to run out pretty quickly. And then you don't know what next contracts look. You know, maybe what if, what if this Tyson Jost breakout is real and he signs for a million five for next year, and then goes out and has a 45-point season, and now you've got a $4 million player on top of that. You know, we don't, you know, Val Nichushkin, what if this is also real, and he goes out and does it again next year, you got another $4 million player there. You know, like, we don't, we don't I know. Mean, if we don't every know single what that player, money is. If every single player is working out, mm-hmm. then you have assets that you can flip, though. It becomes a, a game that is very different at that point where you have to manage too many good players. Well, and you know you're going to lose one to Seattle. And that's not that's only all that. good and well. Like, that's fine. But the business decision that they made today was the cost certainty of Martin Cout in year three. That's, that's all it and- was. They said year three of Martin Cout. We really like what he's done. But at eight hundred and ninety-four thousand dollars in two thousand and twenty-two, twenty-three, that is going to be more valuable to us than the next five games. That's what and, that's that's where they made the decision. If you, right. if you agree or disagree with it, I I mean everybody's going to feel how they feel. I get it from a business standpoint. I have no issues with it from a hockey standpoint. I still have no issues with it because as much as I've liked Cout. I don't think he's been so good 
that they that they absolutely had to keep him. He was he was rock solid. I really liked what I saw, but he was not. This was not like Kale McCarr coming into the playoffs last year. This was not a very high impact player. This was another. This was this was a Nemesnikov level addition to the roster. It made them better, and there's no doubt about that. But it did not make them so much better that they had to keep him. Uh, and and the fact that he would have been a healthy scratch a week and a half from now, that's that's where they they push their chips towards that that being the outcome. If more guys get injured, the dude can always come back. The you know, and then. They can burn it off and say, hey, we, there are more injuries happened and we decided screw it. But for right now, this is the decision that they made today. And on the whole, I'm okay with the decision. I just find it a little bit weird that they haven't been as consistent as I would personally have liked them to be through their decisions of the trade deadline and beyond it. But obviously we disagree there too, and that's fine. Because it's time to acknowledge Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of DNVR. I can begrudgingly have a drink with AJ even when he disagrees with me. It's fine. I can live with that. I will drink my Avalanche Amber Ale while he drinks his Strawberry Sky and we'll get along just fine. Uh, <laughs> if, for sure. if you're looking for a, uh, a particular Breckenridge brew, you can always go online and use their beer locator. It'll tell you where to head to find whichever Breckenridge Brewery beer you are looking for. They have most of their beers around the country. Some of them are a bit harder to find at times, though. Davidson's usually carries all of them if you're looking for that. And if you want to come hang out with us, Breckenridge Brewery has beers at all of our watch parties. So we usually give out a free one if you RSVP. So make sure to do that as well and come out and have a good time with us. Second period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits with Ruto and AJ. We will get back to this conversation about the abs and their money situation over the next couple of years. But first, there is that Anaheim versus abs game that went down last night where the abs got to overtime, ultimately fell short, losing four to three. I, For me, I just chalked this game up to a bit of bad luck. The abs have been getting a lot of bounces in the last handful of games. They were competitive. They almost got the job done here, but they just didn't get the bounce that they needed in the end. AJ, same feelings there or anything particular that you point out as a problem? A hundred percent, man. What are you going to complain about? Special teams was almost perfect last night. Uh, They ended up, the the third Ducks goal ended up actually being considered an even strength goal. So the PK ended up perfect by one second. They went, what, two for three on the power play last night? Yep. They hit five posts. They had five high danger chances in overtime. Like compared to one for the Ducks, by the way, they they dominated in high danger chances throughout the game. They dominated. They had thirty. They went. They had a thirty-eight to sixteen advantage in scoring chances. They dominated in everything that you really need to dominate in, except scoring goals. And, like, I know there's at least one person listening who's like, well, yeah, AJ, but that's what matters. <laughs> You're right. But it's hockey sometimes. Yeah, I mean. Because the, the, abs, the abs were the lesser team in both Nashville and Carolina last week and got four points out of it. And sometimes that's just how it goes. That's hockey. The break that they got in Nashville with the goaltender interference and however you feel about that, blah, blah, blah. Like, they got breaks. They got the big breaks that went their way. 
and <clears throat> won those games. It didn't happen last night, and sometimes that just happens. It, they right. did everything and, else that they possibly could to win that game. And two of those posts came in overtime, so even if you wipe those away, they had three posts in regulation. There's a very real world where there were three inches of difference, and the Abs are running away with his game 5-2 to two in the second period. And this these weren't cheap posts either. Two of those posts hit the inside of the post and did not go right. in the net. So they were extreme. You can't really get much closer to scoring a goal and not than a couple of those posts were. And the puck just didn't go in. And then John Gibson did the job for the Ducks and and kept out the rest of the chances to a good enough degree that they were able to, oh, it was Ryan Miller, not Gibson, my bad. Uh, Either way, Ryan Miller always seems to have the abs number a bit. Um, And you know what? At the end of the day, the players that needed to step up like Nathan McKinnon did and got this game to overtime and got the abs a point, even with the bad luck. So it's hard to fault the abs on this one, I think. It, yeah, I mean they beat they beat Ryan Miller eight times last night. Yep, just just got beat him beat him on eight different shots, and five of them just happened to catch iron. And like the Nachushkin one that drew like the inside of the crossbar. Yep, was like, dude, how does that not go in? <laughs> right, like how does that not take the bounce into the net? Yep, like it was it was crazy, man, and. Like that's you know that's that's the bounce that they got like on the Landy goal in Nashville where it was like this the perfect angle and it just barely clipped inside that the corner of the net and counted. Yep. You know, I mean that's 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 the the half inch they got there they didn't get last night and that's the difference in the game. Like that's, I guess. that's just how it goes. I really I don't feel I don't feel bad about last night's game. I don't. I, I don't ag- agree in any way whatsoever with, oh, the Avs struggle with teams that want to play big, physical, heavy games with them. I don't agree. The Avs, the Avs took care of their business last night and thoroughly outplayed Anaheim and lost on a, on what appeared to be just a picture-perfect shot with one second left in OT. Like, they just... <laughs> I You know, it just yeah. happens. It, I mean, it just ha- If this was a playoff game, I'd be way more upset. But in a regular season game, they got one of the points. They've had points in nine straight games. They've gotten 16 of their last 18 available points to them. They're two points behind St. Louis with one game in hand. They're 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 still in this thing. Last night, the, the end result hurt because it happened with one second and because that's the best overtime that they've played probably under Jared Bednar. Yeah. It was, it's very, it was very on brand for the new style of three on three, right? The abs were much more patient with the puck. They circled back a plenty, which allowed them to dominate puck possession in the game and even force the ducks earlier on to take poor shots and quickly turn the puck over. Right. So they were in complete control and they did everything they normally don't do in overtime. They controlled the puck. They made smart decisions. They forced the other team into bad decisions. And Frankie made the saves that he needed to make until Raquel beat him with the perfect wrister. Yeah. I I think there are things you can nitpick. Uh, Gerard's breakaway really probably should have been a two on O. All he had to do was slow up and you basically create an impossible situation for Ryan Miller. But nonetheless, they had what three, four breakaways in overtime. They had two clean ones for sure with Gerard and Jost at the end, and the puck just never settled down for Jost. If you go back and watch it, he yep. is fighting it the entire time, trying to get that thing to settle down. It just never happens. 
and then gets laugh gets back and lifts the stick and rides him into the wall. Hey, you know what? It just happens. Like I, they had so many good looks. I mean, Nathan McKinnon separated Ryan Getzlaff from his soul, <laughs> and Ryan Miller stopped that shot with the tip top of his glove. Yep. Again, half an inch. Half an inch, Nathan McKinnon has maybe the goal of the year. And because of it, it just, we all get to remember it because it was that time he made Ryan Getzlaff break his ankles and go sliding away helplessly. And then the shot got stopped. Like, you know, I, I just, <laughs> the last night was the perfect picture, perfect example of that's hockey. Should we have known this was coming the second Andrew Agazino scored a goal on the abs? Uh, I, I felt like it was coming because the Nuggets lost the night before yeah. to the Warriors. And the Nuggets and abs have so bizarrely mirrored each other this year that I was just like, oh, my God, they're going to send that energy over into the abs locker room. Show enough. But where, where Colorado made the difference and the difference between the NBA and the NHL is that Wins and losses don't determine the standings in the NHL points too. Yep. And the Avs got uh the Avs got one of the two points. So you feel half as bad about the loss. Pretty much. It you know, it's funny, I talked about this on the Denver Sports Pod the other day too, because you know, the Nuggets fan base is a little bit up in arms about losing to teams that they're supposed to beat. And my response is it's really nice this year as following the Avs because if they drop a game like this, you look at the standings and you go, huh, they're still squarely in the playoffs. Every point isn't do or die in March for the Avs. And sure, maybe they don't catch the Blues. That's a little bit disappointing, but they're still squarely in the playoffs and honestly, pretty confidently in a having a home ice in the first round spot. Well, and like where, where is this prevailing opinion that I've been hearing today that they can't catch St. Louis? They're two points back with the game in hand. And I had and a head to head matchup coming up. Like they're still, they are more into that than Dallas is into catching Colorado right I'm, now. My from the standings, they are absolutely that. I think the issue there comes from well, gee, the Abs are missing almost half of their forward core right now, and Kale McCarr. So that makes it a lot tougher. Sure. Like yeah, it's it's it is diff- it's going to be an uphill climb to catch them, but like. It's not like they have less heavy lifting to do than Dallas does to get to try and get home ice away from the abs right now. Right. Oh, absolutely. They're far closer to St. Louis than Dallas is to them. And that's what I'm talking about. And in the abs are in a great spot where maybe they catch St. Louis, but even if they don't, they're comfortable. This isn't a, it's not going to be a nail biter down to the end of the season not to make the playoffs, likely right. not even to have home ice in the first round. They are they are 14 points ahead of Winnipeg for falling out of the playoffs entirely. So not happening. So like we, there were there were people on Twitter last night who were like, well, hey, they have to, they still have to make the postseason. And I was like, guys, you don't need to have that mindset this year. Yep. They are <laughs> they are 16 games away and they have a 14 point advantage. At that this would point, be a that would be an unprecedented collapse in the NHL. At at this point, a collapse would be not having home ice in the first round. Honestly, I I mean I 
I wouldn't go that far because six points over 16 games is doable. Uh, it's not easy though. It's no, it's not, but it's, it's do it's, it's a lot more doable than blowing a 14 point advantage in 16 games. <laughs> like Fair. we've been talking all year where I, I say 95 points is the target. The abs are seven points from that. Yep. Like if the abs can't get eight more points, in the final 16 games, you straight up don't deserve to go. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. The Avs, if the Avs play under 500 in the last 16 games, that's terrible hockey. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I don't think that they've had a 16-game a stretch all year where they've played uh, under 500 hockey. Yeah, the I imagine the closest would be in January, but... Even that they yeah. turned around relatively quickly, right? Well, I mean, like in in January, didn't they go seven and six, or was that December? Yeah, um, I think they won seven games in January. That sounds right. Okay, I can't I can't remember their split on which games, which one. They, I know they've been above five hundred in every individual month. Yeah, so and so it's like, pfft. like they're they are sitting pretty right now. I mean, we're. We're talking about them possibly missing the postseason, and they are third in the NHL. After 66 <laughs> games, they are third. And because things have been so iffy in Colorado for so long now, we're actually having this conversation. Like, guys, they they and 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 gals, they are <laughs> fine. They are going right. to make the playoffs. It's you can embrace the love. It's time. The Avs are back. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. Which there will be a column like that being written sometime this week on the DNVR. Ooh, not get me all excited. Not by me, um, but I, I got a request today from our uh, our columnist Mike Olson, who said, "Can I write an app type piece?" And I said, "Dude, yes." They, Gotta love it. Yeah, people should be hyped. Last night kind of sucked, but like. They had a seven-game win streak bookended by four three overtime losses. Like if if kind of sucked is overtime losses, you're doing pretty good. Well, and like <laughs> like an overtime loss where you play really well. Yeah, it's one thing. Like oh hey, the Avs predictably went out and they did something stupid, and Nikita Kucherov had a breakaway in overtime to win it. Like pfft, come on. <laughs> last last thing I want to ask you about last night, really, because there seemed to be some. Uh, I there were people who had different feelings on this. Sure. Frankie, thumbs up, thumbs down last night. And can I do thumbs middle? Uh, sure. I mean, either it, I, regardless of your answer, I'm going to say state your case. So sure. Right, yeah, I I thought it was average play. Uh, hard to fault him for either of the first two goals. I know yeah. the the almost power play goal was a one timer from coming out from behind the net, but all you got to do is close the five hole there and that puck doesn't go in. Uh, that's one you should stop. Uh, ultimately, he gave the abs a chance to win the game still, though. Uh, like we said, the abs could have scored six goals pretty easily in this game and he kept them in it. He Which kept it been on brand for a Francois start. Right, exactly. <laughs> but he also, he let them get the game tied in the third period and, and kept them close. So, Good I enough. Not I don't. These. I don't think he had to make any like great saves. Yeah, there were. There wasn't that OMG moment. Really, right. the one I where guess you could point to where you're like, "Oh, the game changed when he made that." The stuff. closest was the one he made at the start of the third, I guess. Yeah, when when Graves just decided to make the he didn't as want the interesting puck anymore. as possible. Yeah, yeah. 
That was that's true. That's a that was a big save. That was about the only one that I can think of, though. Uh, he made a couple of nice stops in overtime too, which he had not done uh, this season. He had gotten scored on pretty easily yeah. in overtime previous uh, in in this year. Yep. And so he made a couple of stops. I honestly, I liked his game overall. Uh, I didn't love the first or third goals. Um, I just every every time I say I don't like something about a goalie, one of our goalie listeners will come and tell me why I'm a moron. So. <laughs> I'm almost just wanting to, to to bail out of this right now, but it's, it's fine. I'm in it. I didn't love the first and third goals. I the first goal would feel a lot better if it wasn't Andrew Agazino scoring it. <laughs> It'd feel a lot better if there was somebody covering Andrew Agazino, <laughs> and that was kind of the rub: is that the defense wasn't very good uh, yeah. in front of him on the big breakdowns. Uh, but that that is where it's like, hey, the the. The defense isn't always going to be perfect. And it wasn't like tapping it into an empty net. They, those pucks still had to get through him. And I thought that the first and third goals were pretty stoppable. Uh, the The overtime goal, I mean, it's it's an, it's a mostly unscreened wrist shot that he sees coming. But from the per- top of the circle. It's, but, it's perfectly yeah. placed. And it's like, and, and I always say like, hey, if Nathan McKinnon made that shot, how do I feel about it? And if Nathan McKinnon right. made that shot, We'd be talking about what a superstar he is and what an animal and the MVP conversation is back, baby. And, you know, like we'd be going crazy over it because it was a great shot. And I just the only downside is that that's his glove. And that's normally like over a sh- over the shoulder on most goalies. But instead, that's his glove. And so he has a better chance at stopping that than most. It's still a great shot. I'm I'm not hating on Frankie for last night. Yeah, I definitely no hate. The third goal, I think he should have stopped. But at the end of the day, you know, if he gets half of the posts that Ryan Miller got, the Avs win the game. So You're right, if he gets half of the half inch that Ryan Miller kept getting, yeah, exactly. So phrasing. <laughs> hey. I, so awkward. Uh, <laughs> I now guess that I've thrown you for a loop. No, this is this is perfect. As Strava says, drink deeply, live fully, and get that half inch. Uh, Str- Strava is rich CBD infused coffee, which you can now purchase in K cups if you're a Keurig person. But they also have whole bean or ground coffee for whatever type you enjoy. You can get it online for twenty percent off when you use code DNVR twenty. Uh, be sure to order it that way, as they can ship it right to your door very quickly. As always, if you want to try before you buy, there are a number of places in and around Denver where you can do that. The CBD is non-psychoactive, and it's known to help long-term migraines, decreasing anxiety, arthritis, IBS, many other things as well. So be sure to give it a try, and just remember to get that 20% off with code DNVR20. Third period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by Davidson's with Rudo and AJ. We've talked about the Avs last game. We kind of talked about the situation with sending Cout down and, and managing the contracts and dollar values as the Avs are going to start to tighten up this year. But from the sound of things, looking at where the cap is headed, it might be more favorable than what was originally thought. Obviously, there's an expectation with some money coming in with things like Seattle entering the league and all of that. But from what AJ has heard, there might be a lot of money out there to play with. 
Yeah, the uh, the GM meetings are going on right now, and the uh, it, it was getting reported around yesterday that uh, the potential salary cap raises could be anywhere from eighty four million to eighty eight point one, eighty eight point two. That would basically be like the whole five percent ex- escalator at that point, right? And <clears throat> yeah, and that's kind of depending on what the players decide that they want to do, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But that's a really big range because at 84, you're talking about a two and a half million dollar, uh, two and a half million dollar raise. But at, at 88, you're talking about, okay, well that pays for Val Nachushkin and Andre Burakovsky alone. Yeah. It, it's a huge cap increase at that point. And teams are, way freer to to make moves and, and be able to afford things they might not have originally. I mean, look at Toronto. They could actually afford some of their defense then, maybe. Right. Um, the Avs, yeah. though, the Avs, as of right now, at an, with a projected $84 million, so on the lowest end of that possible range, would have just under $25 million to spend. And that's a, that's a lot of money. Obviously, you're looking at Val's going to need to be re-signed. You already mentioned that. Burakovsky as well. Tyson Joe's contract mm-hmm. is coming up. You look uh, a little bit further out. Obviously, guys like Landis Gog and Makar's next deal are coming. So that money is going to get eaten up pretty quickly. Yeah, the uh, the 25 uh, could be, <clears throat> you know, you can go through a decent chunk of it. Burakovsky, let's just say he gets five and a half. All right, you're already under 20 yep. right there. So you're at 19 and a half there. Uh, and then Jost, just let's just say he gets 1.5 generously. Sure. He gets sure. 1.5. All right. You're down to 18. Val, let's give Val two. Right. This is this. I like that we just, go through this in the same way. We're like, all right, if things are like worst case scenario and they give out the most money possible. <laughs> right. Like, like, let's say two. Uh, we're. Now we're down to 16. Then you've got uh, Barbario, Connaughton, Zadorov, and Graves. So Zadorov, you know, let's let's just give him three and a half and assume he stays for right now. Because assuming otherwise, this gets way more complicated. Uh, So we give him three and a half, which is a nominal raise from the 3.2 he's making right now. Now we're down to 12 and a half. And then Graves, give Graves two and a half. Now we're all the way yep. down to 10. And all we've done is just re-sign right. guys. And so we're down to 10. And you still have decisions to make on Nemesnikov and Nieto and Kamenev. And then, you know, some of these fringe RFAs, guys like Dries, uh, O'Connor, et cetera, et cetera. All right. So down to down to 10. If that's if if that's at eighty four million, then they have ten to go out and spend and do whatever, right? If it's at eighty eight million, we did all of that. They still have fourteen million to spend. Well, I mean, they have ten to spend, right? But also, you're looking at some of that and going, "All right, we're probably paying Kale eight million the next year." Right, but that's the next year's problem. Like the, the and assume a raise the right. next season as well because. That's when Seattle actually I understand comes in. the cap will go up and all and that like, as well, yeah. Right. So you're saying, like, 
you've got 10 million right now that you can spend. You can't give back. And so, you know, you've got that money to spend on a one year deal. If that's 14 million, that's where you make the Taylor Hall conversation interesting. Uh, yeah, right? If you have 14 million to spend, you can go out and get any free agent you want dollar wise. Well, and that's where instead of instead of doing hey, let's go get Taylor Hall for 7 years. Why not go get him for one at a max deal or whatever? Why not offer him a one-year deal at 14 million? Yeah, you could. Or 13 million, you know, so there's some wiggle room. Sure. You know, or or offer him a two-year deal at 12 and a half million more than anyone else would give him for those two years, basically. Exactly. And he's still, you know, he could come here, be super productive, and then, you know, maybe maybe he's going to, at two years at 12 and a half, you're talking about he's going to get $25 million. Yep. For two years worth of work. And, you know, there's, if a team offers him seven by 10, I could see him saying no. Sure. Maybe he wants the security, right? You don't right. know. Because but... you're like, well, 70 is a lot more than 25. <laughs> okay. Like, that's fine. But if he makes it to market, I think that's where you weaponize that cap space. And that's, again, like, this is assuming that all of those numbers that I just threw out there are accurate. Right. It could come due and, to me and the cap is 82 and a half next year or something. We don't well, know. And, and I mean, I'm not even assuming I'm, I'm assuming just the numbers that I threw out for the ads players resigning are anywhere in the ballpark. True. They could be you much know? cheaper or much more like, expensive. Nikita yeah. Zadorov maybe doesn't come back at all. And that's three and a half million dollars that you just added to that total and then subtract Bowen Byram's ELC. And all of a sudden you're in the 16, 17, 18 million dollar exactly. range. Yeah. Like you're having a very, very different conversation. You know, maybe, <clears throat> you know, maybe you look to move on from Belmar after a year. I would say unlikely, but depending on where they are, like if they wanted to bring Nemesnikov back, you know, you're you're trying to find a space for Martin Kaut next year. You know, maybe maybe you don't bring one of these guys back, you know, that that we're talking about. So some of this some of this money can get moved around really easily. Uh and then <clears throat> you know <laughs> that's that's just where I think when you're talking about if it's 88 million, that absolutely it crushes for the teams that absolutely need the breathing room, the teams that are really up against it. But even for Colorado, it makes a really big difference because that could that could open them up to do something a little interesting it well it, it would work out well for Colorado because they're finally in a position where it's time to start making the big moves right we talked about it yeah. a lot at the deadline ultimately they ended up not doing it Taylor Hall round two becomes an option then right so and maybe maybe it ends up being like a you find that middle ground it's like a three-year deal at 12 million dollars uh, and whatever it ends up being right right like and then and then you're you know you're looking and you're just you're you're just finding a way to use that cap space and then you know there is a year or two of overlap yeah but you're not going into McKinnon's next contract where then you maybe have created a problem yeah so that's where that's where my eyebrows kind of perked up when i saw that as i was like all right 
How convenient. Like if it's, <laughs> it's going to be 88 million, then that means Colorado could do, could theoretically do something big money on a short term, kind of like what they uh, allegedly were trying to do with Panarin last, last summer, where they were offering him a four year deal at, you know, $12 million or whatever it was. Um, because they didn't want to go into McKinnon's next contract. You know, now the Rangers decided to go all in and they look, they're, they're perfectly happy doing that. Certainly Panarin playing pretty well for them. (laughs) Right. I mean, add Panarin to this team right now. And the blues are not even, (sighs) not even sweating the blues at all with Panarin. They're They're probably having the president's trophy conversation with Boston. Yep. So. Uh, I, I just thought that that was interesting, and we had a couple of people reach out to us and say, hey, what does this mean? If the cap were to go up this much, what could that mean for Colorado? That's where my mind went, was, hey, they already have plenty of space. As we just ran down, they have plenty of space to do anything they need to do with their own guys for next season. It's It's what they wanted to do on top of that, that it could get very interesting. Uh, yeah, I, it's exciting to know that there's always the next step, and the next step is not yet how do the Avs manage to stay under the cap. It's still how do they get there. Right. And, and you know, in 2021, when Makar and Landeskog's new deals kick in, obviously that's, you know, you talk $10 million for Makar, $7 million for Landeskog, like you're, you know, they right now, uh, the abs have in that in that year they have forty three million dollars worth of cap space, and that sounds like a lot. But with two players, I just chopped seventeen of that off. You, uh, it, it it is what it is, though, right? You make room for your big important core pieces, oh, yeah. and, and you just but deal with it around the fringes. And that's that's where you know Colorado's had the money to go and spend, uh you know, $3 million a year on Matt Calvert and $2 million to bring in Belmar to give you 22 points or whatever it ends up being, you know, like that's, that's where they've been able to do that. And again, tying this back into that first segment, that's where they chose the value on Martin Cout is that the third year they're saying, Hey, we want, we want the 40 points. Let's just say he's a 40 point player. Okay. We want the 40 points at $800,000 in 2022 when we're paying McCarr $10 million, we're paying Gerard $5 million, we're paying uh, <clears throat> Landeskog $7 million, we're paying Burakovsky $5.5 or $6 million. You know, they're, all of these guys are going to be getting significant raises and be much more expensive down the road. That 40 points, let's again, just, just spitball with me, let's just say 40 that 40 points at $894,000 is going to be very valuable. It absolutely is. From a from a window, a cup window standpoint for the Avs, that extra year could mean a lot. Right. And when you compare that and you say, okay, how valuable is the 40 points at $894,000 versus the next, let's go long on it, and let's just say versus the next eight games. Sure. Where you're solidly in a playoff spot, as we talked about last segment, versus going for the central title, which they can still do. It's just with or without Martin Cout, it's going to be hard. 
So that was the that was to tie this whole show together in a bow that I did not initially intend to. That's the picture that they're looking at. And that was that that honestly, now that I, you know, now that I've looked at it in that lens, dude, you know, what's more valuable that that last year to the 22. Is it 22? Yeah, 22, 23 full season of Martin Kaut as an NHL player for eight hundred ninety four thousand dollars or the next couple of games. I think that was probably an easy decision for them. I, I still think there's a very real world where Cout is a very affordable player on that next deal, and it's not I a agree. big issue. But I totally agree. And and if it's even if it's like a two and a half million dollar deal, it's like right. okay, like but, oh no, if you if they can't if they can't find two and a half million dollars for one of their own guys in a couple of years, they've really done some things. But I I guess the point holds. I still have some question marks about it. But you look at it and say, look, they did not end up getting that big piece in at the deadline this year. They're yeah. still looking towards the future and the the entirety of this cup window. It's not all in time yet. Oh, so, we're not even we're not even close to that. I but mean, all, we I might mean, be closer all, than you think. I think all in all, all in time is I I think of all in time as Columbus. You know that this is ending. This is your absolute last last kick at this can with this group, and you know that for sure. You're going balls to the wall, and I don't think we're anywhere close to that with this group. Well, I but mean, the I NHL happens that. really fast. Look at Nashville. It it does, but I <laughs> I too would like to believe that the next half decade plus is is Avs window time. So hopefully <laughs> that's the case. Um, I would just take five years. Anything, yeah, sure. Honestly, anything beyond this McKinnon contract. I think is it would be a sign of great management, a grand great draft and development. Well, we can certainly hope for those things. Um, yeah, I guess we can wrap up the show there unless you have any final touches, AJ. That's it. All right. Perfect. In that case might be time for us to head on over to mile high green cross and pick up some award-winning products. They have everyday low prices on in-house products, such as $99 pre-pack ounces and five V3 hash oil cartridges for a hundred bucks. You can also sign up for their loyalty program and get 20% off your entire purchase once every single month. If you're already signed up and you haven't gotten that yet, just mention DNBR and they'll get you all hooked up there. They have a convenient location at 9th and Broadway with parking in the back, so it's real easy to get in and get what you need. None of that hassle with a lot of downtown's parking that can happen down there. Uh, give us a tweet and we'll always retweet you. We always love when, when people go to any of our sponsors, honestly, that goes for. If you want to interact, let us know and, and we'll hook you up for sure with some retweets and all of that. Again, just make sure to sign up for their loyalty program. Be sure you're getting that 20% off when you can. That is it for this one and for us on the show. We do have one day left in the week. So as always, you will hear from us again tomorrow. DMPR Avalanche with Hayfully and Rudo. 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 DMPR Avalanche with Hayfully and Rudo.